In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. There was a philosopher in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, German philosopher, who said he was an atheist, didn't believe in God, didn't believe in the afterlife, but he was smart enough to say, joy desires eternity, sweet, sweet eternity. And what he meant by this is he experienced joy sometimes. And in those times that he experienced joy, he also at once experienced some kind of despair. Because he knew that whatever he was joyful about would go away. The feeling would go away. The feeling of this deep residing joy in the heart, this sense that things are okay, things are good, this enjoyment of life, this would go away not much longer. Because this is the nature of this life. And we all have to be honest with ourselves and be able to say, as much as we chase joy in this life, and as frustratingly as we attempt to find lasting joy in this life, it always fails because it is the nature of this world. It is not, in fact, meant for this world. We were never meant to find our joy, our home, in this life. It was always meant, since the beginning, since Adam and Eve, it was always meant to be in the kingdom of heaven with God. So this man, an atheist, had the sense, he was smart enough to know, we desire joy, and we experience it sometimes here and there in shadowy form and in glimpses. And when we experience it, we want to rest there. We want to live there. We want to dwell there. We don't want to let it go. But we also have this simultaneous experience of knowing that it's going to go away. And so we're constantly teeter-tottering between these two kind of radical emotions, these two states of mind and of the heart, wherein we go from joy to sadness or hope to despair, back and forth. What's the stabilizing force? It's always been in the spiritual life of the church. It's always been God. In the times of joy, we thank God, and we know that we're getting at least a tiny glimpse, maybe even an inkling, of what the kingdom of God will be like for eternity. And in the times of sadness, we thank God also that we have something to offer him uh, by which, in loving him, we can experience that joy for eternity in heaven. We know that sadness does not win over joy for believers. In the gospel reading today, it's a really interesting story. Jesus is at the house of the Pharisees, of a Pharisee, is a ruler, and there's Pharisees there, there are lawyers there. These men were obviously religious leaders. The lawyers were not civic lawyers, they were religious lawyers. They interpreted the law of Moses, and their interpretation would rule over the people. And so they would dictate with the Pharisees, the rulers, the religious rulers of, the, of that Jewish society in the time of Christ, they would dictate how people would run their lives. And Jesus is at a ruler's house with a lot of these people. And it's the Sabbath day. Yom Shepta. The Sabbath day is the day of rest. This is the day of the Lord. This is the day that is to be kept holy according to the third commandment. And so, on that day, the way the Pharisees 
and the scribes and the lawyers and the religious rulers, the way they interpreted the day of rest is rest, which means do not work at all. And they took it to quite major extremes. So they had rules, funny rules, like you couldn't walk 1,000 feet away from your house because one more, I guess, 1,000 feet and one would be considered work and below 1,000 feet would be considered living on edge or something. And many such rules so that people would follow the third commandment of God, keep holy the Sabbath day and rest and not do any, any kind of work. Well, so Jesus challenges them on this and, and challenges them on the interpretation of the law. Is the Sabbath day really about not doing things? Is that what really the Sabbath day is about? For Jesus, no. The Sabbath day is not about not doing stuff. It's not about not working. The Sabbath day is rich in meaning. It's very dynamic. It's a beautiful day. The theology of the Sabbath day is far beyond these legalisms about can I work, can I not work? And so Jesus challenges them by saying, look at this guy. It's not in the Gospel of Luke, but in the Gospel of Mark, we know more about this man. He has a withered hand. And Jesus looks at, around at them at anger. It doesn't show that in the Gospel of Luke. And he says, is it lawful? Is it legal, you lawyers? Is it legal to heal on the Sabbath day or not? Why wouldn't it be? Well, because of that interpretation of the law. But Jesus is showing them and telling them there's a better interpretation of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, as it's intended by God, comes from the very days of creation. God creates the world in six days, and on the seventh day, and I want to parse this out a little bit, on the seventh day is Yom Shapta. Saturday, in classical calendars, is the last day of the week, and Sunday, Choshaba, Hadab Shabba, the first day of the week, Sunday would be the first day of the week, not the last day the way it is in today's culture. The seventh day of the week, the Saturday, this is the day that God rested, inviting us to rest in him. The Sabbath day is the day of union between God and man. On the Sabbath day, this is the great day. This is the day of the Lord. This is the day that we unite with God. This is the holy day. This is the day in which all other days lead up to and from which all other days get their meaning. Sunday through Friday in the Jewish calendar lead up to Saturday. For us, it's obviously Sunday because of the day of the resurrection. All other days, all other work days lead up to the Sabbath day. We work so that we work up to our rest in God. Work does not have value for its own sake. It exists only so that it can be led up to its order to resting in God. Another way to translate this is even this life is ordered to the next. This life of work, this life of labor, this life of suffering, let's say, this life of sadness, this life in which, yes, sometimes we experience joy and thank God for those moments, but soon to follow is some reason to knock down that joy. This life in which it is tiresome leads up to the eternal Sabbath that we spend with God, that rest in which we are united to God and nothing can break that union any longer. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? It's the most proper thing to heal on the Sabbath day. It's not just lawful. It's not, it shouldn't just be allowed. It should be the most proper thing that is done because 
The Sabbath day is the union between God and man, and that union is the healing of the human person. Jesus, in healing this man in front of all the Pharisees and the lawyers, is giving us an image, a foreshadow of what God is going to give to us in full and definitively and for all of eternity in the kingdom of God in heaven. The healing of this man is a sign that points forward to what God is going to do in all of us. The man with the withered hand who could not use his hand any longer, who was a cripple because of it, is made whole again. And it is a symbol, a sign, a foreshadow of what God is going to do for every single one of us. That on that eternal Sabbath day, that day of the Lord in which there will be no day prior and no day after, that one everlasting day in heaven is when God and man are united forever and when, where man is healed by the blood of Christ and where in that healing man finds his joy and that joy is sweet, sweet eternity. Brothers and sisters, in this life now, we get glimpses of it and that's good. And hold on to those glimpses, remember them. Because they're like Jesus gives this man and gives all of us in the gospel reading, a sign of the life to come, he gives us signs every single day of what that's like. You ever experience joy in your life? Those are signs of what God wants to give us in full, definitively, and infinitely more in heaven. Cherish those moments. Enjoy them. And in the times of sadness, go back to the joy. The sadness, like work, is always just ordered towards the eternal joy, the eternal Sabbath. It's hard for us to... Think about these things today because faith is so diluted in today's life. We, don't, we hardly have heaven in our consciousness anymore. We're barely aware of its reality. And we do our best to scramble to find joy in this life. Jesus doesn't want us to struggle with that that much, though. He's constantly giving us hints at it, and he wants us to hold on to those hints. Remember heaven. You are on your way to heaven. And whenever you have a bad day or whenever you go through a difficult time, whenever you're really struggling interiorly or because of some circumstance in your life, do remember heaven. It's all ordered towards that. Permeate every day with what Jesus says. It's a beautiful thing. It's a different part of the Gospel of Luke where he says to the apostles, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Remember what Jesus says in the book of Revelation. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, the disciples of the Lord. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, When I see you again, I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, where no one can take your joy away from you. Brothers and sisters, If I'm driving to La Jolla, I'm thinking about La Jolla. But if I'm driving to La Jolla and I'm thinking about Mission Valley, I'm probably going to accidentally head and go into Mission Valley. Think about La Jolla. It's not heaven, but it's almost there. <laughs> Think about La Jolla. Think about heaven and drive to heaven and let every part, every freeway, every sign, every street, every single thing that you do, remember the destination. And the destination will give meaning to every single road and every single sign that leads you up to it. Amen.